You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Great being with you guys this morning. Um, My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here. Great to have you. We're in a message series called More Than Parenting Tips. This morning, I want to talk to you about uh, grandparents. I remember uh, years ago, uh, when my late grandfather, uh, we got him to come and see the church on Father's Day. We had a special day on Father's Day, and, you, and it was called Dads and DeLoreans. And I got a DeLorean to show up to the church. We, uh, we were meeting at Barry Goldwater High School, and you can see I have my son there, um, my father, and then my grandfather. We had four generations of rices uh, represented on that day. But the backstory is, is it was incredibly challenging to get my grandfather to jump on a plane from, Fe- from Dallas, Texas to get to Phoenix, Arizona. He's pushing mid-90s at this point in his life. And uh, he said, Ryan, I don't like to travel a lot anymore. I'd really love to just see the church with pictures and stuff. But since you've been on me so many years now, I'll get on a plane and come. And then my dad called me before they showed up in Phoenix at Sky Harbor. And he said, Ryan, I need you to sit down and write down a list of things that I need you to do to make sure grandpa has a great stay and I don't get in trouble as his son. And I, I said, sure. Sure. I sit down, grab a list, and he says, number one, most important thing, you need to get a lazy boy for him to sleep in, not a bed. And I said, I don't own a lazy boy. He said, well, that's what I told you. You need to listen and do what I asked you to do. Go get a lazy boy. So I contacted people in the church, found a lazy boy. We moved out of the bed, out of the bedroom for one of my kiddos. We put the lazy boy there. He said a couple of other things. I don't remember what my dad else told me on the list, but I remember the lazy boy. So we got the lazy boy, we get it into the, to the bedroom, we put it there, and grandpa, you know, I guess he got a habit of just, you know, he, if he's going to lay down, he needs a lazy boy so he can control that, 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 that arm on how he can sleep. So we had a great service. Church was great. It was fantastic. I was so proud to have everybody there, shared with the church everything that was going on, and so I honored my grandfather that morning. And uh, we get back, and there's some football on TV. I think the Cowboys were playing, so he was excited. He said, I'm tired. I'm going to go take a nap. Goes in the back room, takes a nap in the lazy boy, and uh, gets up from his nap. And then we're all out on the couch laying around. My dad had taken off for an errand. And right before my dad left, he said, son, I'm putting you in charge of grandpa right now. Um, He just had a hip replacement. Um, he's, he's, he, he really, you need to be careful. If I, if he gets falls and gets hurt in Phoenix, I'm going to hear it from your aunt and your uncles for years. Okay. So make sure you take care of grandpa. I said, I got it. Don't worry, dad. Famous last words. So grandpa wakes up from the nap. He comes into the living room. We're all on the couch, sleeping around, laying, watching football, having a good time. And grandpa walks in and Um, In the corner of my house, there's a little guitar just like this, uh, and it's on a stand. And he grabbed a chair from the kitchen table, pulls it out, and sets it right in front of the guitar. Unfortunately, he grabbed the chair that I had just got out of the garage that my wife actually had made a note, this is a bad chair that needs to be repaired, don't use it. I missed that note, grabbed that chair, put it in the kitchen, by the guitar, and Grandpa's about to sit in it. 
I'm just laying around watching TV. Next thing I know, I hear my grandpa pull the chair out. I think, oh, great, he's going to grab a seat. So he, gra- he pulls the chair out, sets it down, and he's like, Cowboys on? All right, Dallas Cowboys. And then he says, so I hear him go, ah. All of a sudden, I hear, <laughs> then I see him fall over, lands on the guitar, bling, 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 bling. And he says, he's laying on the guitar, and he goes, oh, I always wanted to play the guitar. That was his first response. So I'm like, oh my goodness, Grandpa. I run over and I say, I am so sorry. That's the chair I wasn't supposed to use. I'm so sorry. Don't tell my dad. He said, okay, I won't. He goes, pick me up, but be gentle. I think my hip popped out. So I pick him up and he goes, yeah, it's out. And all of a sudden, you could hear it pop back in. And he's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. He comes over, sits down on the couch and we have an awesome time. Dad comes in and he's like, hey, what's wrong with the chair? We're like, uh, and grandpa's just silent, keeps it cool. Doesn't even get me in trouble. To this day, I don't know if my dad's really ever heard the story. Hope he doesn't hear this message. (laughs) My grandfather had a huge impact on my life. Um, He was marked by love for his family for the first half of his life. And towards the second half, he was marked by a love of Jesus Christ in the church. I want to tell you a story about my grandfather uh, and, my, and to highlight my grandmother today throughout the message so you can hear. But I want to place the importance of understanding grandparents and generations. Currently in American history, we live in a time where grandparents represent a bigger chunk of the population than ever before, according to new statistics by the Census Bureau. Um, These are the generations that make up grandparents in today's world. There's the GI generation or the greatest generation. Tom Brokaw wrote a book uh, called The Greatest Generation. These individuals were born between 1901 to 1926. And they were children during World War I generation. They were fighters, many of them, in World War II. Um, Some of you have grandparents that went through this period of time. They also were young in the Great Depression. And they're incredibly important to the church, and here's why. Because they have an incredible strong work ethic. They know what it's like to face trials and tribulations. They know what it's like to pull together when America is is going to war. They have experiences, and they understand what a sense of community is. There's also the mature and the silent generation. These are individuals that were born between 1927 and 1945. They're marked by conformity, but this was the post-war happiness times in America where peace and jobs in the suburbs, television, rock and roll, cars. This generation's incredibly important to the church because they're team players. They understand what it means to be on a team and to play their role really well. They have a huge knowledge a, a, a resource of knowledge and expertise, and they have a very, very strong work ethic. Then there's the baby boomers, which a lot of our church is baby boomers. Uh, my father's a baby boomer. I was mentored um, and have been and still am by many baby boomers. Baby, baby boomers are born between 1946 and 1964, usually split up into two sets kind of the save the world revolutionaries of the 60s and 70s, and then the party-hardy career climbers, the yuppies of the 70s and 80s. Baby boomers are important to the church because they're incredible optimism. 
Um, so if you see any optimism in me, it's actually an instilled value in many regards of what the baby boomers have done in my life. And I see that reflected in scripture. I think there's an incredible amount of scripture that indicates we ought to be incredibly hopeful, optimistic people. But these individuals are driven by success and they can tackle new issues and find solutions. What I want to say to you in the beginning of this message as we get going is that there's a great value in grandparents. There's a great value to help us understand our past, our present, and our future. As a, as a person who needs to seek wisdom and understanding, you've got to understand that they can help us with our understand our past, they can help us understand our present, and they can help us understand our future. Big part of who you are and why you are the way you are is because of grandparents. Grandparents not only play a part and help us understand our past, but they help us to live in our present um, and can help us understand our future. History kind of has a way of repeating itself. This morning what I want to do is I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles in Titus chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul is going to challenge a subset of people um, to, in, an, in an early church um, and charge them with truth. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up, and let's get there. Titus chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, so we'll, we will focus our time. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands. First thing I want to point out to you is in verse 1, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. An important point to understand as we move through this series, uh, next week I'll wrap it up on single parenting and blended families, but something that applies for every person that's going to be a parent, grandparent or parent, you need to understand that there's a biblical vision for all parenting is rooted in doctrine. Apostle Paul starts out and says he, he needs Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So the foundation of parenting is not in contextual issues. It's not in for when Paul's writing to Titus. He's not addressing simply just contextual problems that are going on as we see the virtue list for older men and the virtue list for older women. While he is addressing contextual problems, challenges within that first century, he says... The Apostle Paul says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is agreed upon truths. That means these are God's ideas, not just man's ideas. The whole foundation of parenting is rooted in truth that God has to say. Jesus said it like this. If you know the truth, the truth will set you what? Free. Truth brings freedom. And the foundation for our families is, is this a truth of God. And it can set us free to live, to build families, to build communities, neighborhoods, cities, states. The very basic foundation for all of our civilization is the family. So the biblical vision for all parenting is rooted in doctrine. It's not just tips, it's deep-rooted truths to help uh, the family of God, to honor God. Secondly, I want to point out that the gospel is the basis of all good works in parenting. The gospel, that is the good news of Jesus. If you would, in your Bible, look in verse 11. And I'll show you that how the gospel is the basis of all good works in parenting. In verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, 
the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Look at this, training us, that's the grace of God's training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Like I said, the gospel, the good news, is the basis of all good works in parenting. I want to help you understand this by giving you an illustration of understanding the gospel life that God calls us to live. The gospel life, you need to see it in three different realms. Is One, there's a religious life, which many churches teach a life of religion. Um, Eastern religions, Western religion teach this concept. I lived like very religious for a small period of time in my life. Uh, relig religion taught me that if I obey, therefore I'm accepted. If I go to church, if I get baptized, if I be a good, uh, uh, honorable young man to serve the Lord, then just maybe God will accept me. The problem is with that is how good is good enough? So you find people worn out in religion that are always asking the question, am I ever going to be good enough? I want to be good, but how good is good enough? It's like a scale. So many people live like this, this religious lifestyle, and they're always anxious, they're always worried, they never know, there's no security of salvation, there's not very a clear understanding of the gospel, the grace of God, any of that. So in parenting, if you have a religious mindset, if I am a good parent, then God will love me. If I'm a good grandparent, then God will love me. Wrong. I'll get to that in a moment. Or you could live the ir irreligious life. I, left, I lived like this for a very long time. Irreli irreligious lifestyle says, hey, I just live as I please. I don't really care. I don't care what the Bible has to say. I don't really care what God has to say. Um, you could be an atheist, you could be an agnostic, you could be a, just a washed up, dried up Christian that just says, I don't care anymore. You're just in a season of rebellion. You just don't care. That's irreligious. You do whatever you want. So then there's a totally different way to live, and that is the gospel life. And that's the life that is the foundation for all of our good works. It is, I'm accepted because of the cross of Christ. I'm accepted because of Jesus. I'm accepted because he took my sin, died in my place, suffered in my place so that I didn't have to, and I get a clear right standing with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, out of that gratitude, out of that thankfulness, I want, I ought, I will obey. It's not working for something, it's working from something. It's working from that joy, that freedom, all that. So in all of this, as I've walked through the parenting series, and I've walked through today, and I'll be walking through deep-rooted truths, doctrine of parenting, grandparenting, you need to know it is from the foundation of the gospel that is the basis of all good works. The good works that flow out of your life are a result of your reception of Jesus Christ working in your life and out of your life flows good works. But you don't have to work at 
trying to get accepted by God. It's been done for you, those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You're accepted because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's look at uh, truths for grandpa. Truths for grandpa. We'll go back to the scripture. Um, um, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Notice as I read through it, and you read along, this long virtue list. We're going to see six different truths for grandpa. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He gives some instruction there for Titus. Here's the list. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. And there he leaves it. So what we're going to see is we're going to see six truths for grandpa. First is to be sober-minded. That means to be restrained. There's a sense where a grandfather needs to be sober-minded. He needs to uh, be able to restrain himself. He's not just free to go do whatever he wants. He's, not, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's got some, some temperance to him. You know, you see people that the older they get, sometimes the crankier they can become and the l- very little restraint in some of their words. I had a, 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 a grandparent, I won't name if it was grandma or grandpa, but used to say on a very regular basis when she would, oh, I just messed it up. <laughs> I love you, Grandma. Don't worry. Um, she used to come to the, to the holiday meetings and uh, the gatherings, and then she would just, she would lay into somebody, and then she would just say, I just tell it like it is. The problem with that, well, there's, there's two sides of that. One is, it's great that she is telling it like it is. The bad side of it was, is it really hurt people. It might have been the right thing to say, but it was at the wrong time. You know what I'm saying? It happens here at church all the time. Somebody goes, hey, Pastor Ryan, let me tell you about five things that are, you know, and I'm like, I'm about to preach. Can we talk about this another time? Uh, but no restraint can really hurt. Uh, grandfathers are charged with this sober-mindedness. Secondly, to be dignified. That means worthy of respect or good character. What's really cool about this is that the grace of God is working in the life of every grandparent in the Apostle Paul's mind, that he's training the grace of God's at work in the life of the older men, the older women, helping them to live a life that's honorable and worthy to the Lord. Dignified means to be worthy of respect or good character. Thirdly, to be self-controlled. This is a sense of moderation. Self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, we read that as you spend time with the Lord, that the Spirit of God's at work in your life and He's producing, He's producing self-control. To be self-control, that means a sense of moderation. Um, I don't know what, enti- what exactly the Apostle Paul had in mind, what exactly should be um, moderate. It could be drinking, it could be spending, it could be uh, uh, a number of different things. But nonetheless, there is this self-control that needs to be in the life of an older man. Number four, to be sound in faith. That means to be spiritually healthy is what that word sound means. It means that there's this sense of health, of understanding the Bible, understanding Christian doctrines, understanding what it means to be a, a Christian. I, 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 am, I, I want to encourage you men that maybe at one season of your life you didn't open up the Bible. Maybe your, your, um, 
your, your, your idea of kind of leading the family well was just providing financially. Um, the older you get, you want to not just provide financially, but you want to provide spiritually. You want to grow in your understanding of God's word. You want to grow in your understanding of life experiences and how it relates because whether you like it or not, older men, younger men will look to you. They will defer to you when you walk into the room. If they don't, there's oftentimes there's too much hotshotness going on with the younger generation. And those of you that are younger, let me tell you something for a moment. You need to give your ear you need to stop talking so much and listen to the wisdom and the life of, of older men in your midst. There is a soundness of faith. For those of us that maybe don't have a spiritually healthy faith that maybe um, need to grow in that area, this could apply towards all individuals, but we need to grow in that to be spiritually healthy. Number five, to be sound in love. The word is agape in the Greek, and it means to deep concern, affection, or regard for. Love is said by Jesus to be the incredible hallmark of the Christian life that the world would know that you're a believer, you're a Christian, based on the way you love people. If you don't love people, um, then you're, you're missing out on God's best for your life. God created you for an incredible capacity not only to receive his love, but to extend that love to other people. Maybe for some older men here today, maybe you need to go back to your son or back to your daughter or to your grandchildren and say the words, I love you. Say the words, I'm proud of you. Say the words, you're good at and, let, and fill in the blank. Those are some of the most three powerful statements that you could say as an older man to invest into a younger person. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at I want to encourage you to, to live that way. And then number six, we see that there is a sound in steadfastness. That is endurance, being able to endure. The older generation, I think you guys are tougher than some of the younger generations, Gen X and, and, and millennials. I'll say, I think you're tougher. You went through world wars. You've seen incredible sacrifice. You know what it's like when you need to pull together. You've done with, uh, without a lot of things. And you helped bring America to where it is today in so many regards. In churches all across our country, we see that, the, that these grandparents helped shape and build the churches. North Valley is here today, by and large. There's an entire wise council army that has supported this church to help it get here. We honor the grandparents that have done that. This word endure. Uh, paints a picture of loving and sacrificial love. I think of my, the story of my grandfather. When my grandmother got ill, I was about 15 years old. When my grandmother got really sick and she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't bathe herself anymore, she needed help to eat, she needed help for everything. My grandfather loved his job, loved his work, and he decided to take an early retirement takes an early retirement, we would drive down from Little Rock to Dallas, that long drive down I-30, and we would meet for family uh, meals, and I would see my grandfather so patiently, he would clean the house, he would make all the food, he would get my grandmother dressed, and she always looked her best, and then we'd have a big meal, and then while grandma was eating, he would feed her, and then if there was a crumb on the side of her cheek, he would reach over with a napkin and gently touch it, and 
He demonstrated to our family an incredible love and endurance as a result of this kind of sacrificial love. His own health deteriorated, hardly got out of the house, asked him when he changed his oil last, he said like a year or two ago. He never drove anywhere, hardly. People would have to drop off groceries and he's devoted himself to that. Remember one time I asked him, Grandpa, why do you do it? And he said, love is a commitment. It's a commitment that you make till death do you part, Ryan. Those kind of words shaped me. Our grandparents, if you have not um, talked to them or you have, are too distant from them, younger guys, younger gals, reach out to them. Parents that have the power to get your kids involved with the grandparents, value that time, cherish that time. It teaches us about our past, our present, and our future. Grandpa Rice had an incredible impact on my life, but Grandma um, Fett is... Uh, her, her name is Fett in German is funny. It actually means fat, lard drippings. But Fett, Grandma Fett is awesome. She grew up on my mom's side. She grew up in Montana, rural Montana. Um, and her family grew up when they started homesteading. They'd give out 40 acres and everybody would go. And some like some of those old movies where you see uh, uh, far away and away and they stake out the properties. They get 40 acre chunks. My family had massive lands up in uh, Montana. My grandmother grew up a uh, Montana tough. She loved um, animals. She loved horses. She loved the wildlife. And that value trickled into my whole family. My daughter loves horses. We love horses. My family, my dad loves horses. She taught us what it meant to love and enjoy God's creation. She actually was a devout Catholic. And if it wasn't for my grandmother, I think our families would be far from, 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 from Jesus. I really do. She uh, didn't go to church a whole lot, but she sure ensured that everybody knew the Lord's Prayer. She ensured that everybody in our family knew the basics of the Bible. And she demonstrated her faith. She was incredibly tough and marked our family. She's a great example of what uh, the Apostle Paul charges um, Titus to teach in the church that older women, let's just go ahead and read verses three through four. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Grandma's, grandma gets five truths. The men got saddled down with six. The grandmas gets, get five. The first is to be reverent. Reverent behavior, that means literally committed or godly. My grandmother was deeply committed. She was committed to the family. She was committed to hard work. When her husband passed away, she became the primary breadwinner. She provided uh, uh, enough for my, my mom and my aunt. She demonstrated this reverence and deep commitment. She was godly. She taught us uh, and taught my mom everything she knew about Jesus at the time. And I'm thankful for that. Later in life, my mother, who was a devout Christian in college, meets my dad. My dad was just kind of a, a party guy um, and, uh, in college. And my mom's faith trickled down from my grandma, Feth, impacted and influenced my dad. And it changed our family. Grandma Fett was absolutely uh, committed and uh, a wonderful, wonderful lady. A lady that comes to my mind here in our church is Angel. Uh, she was baptized in our church and 
She had an injury on her uh, foot and uh, was thinking about canceling her baptism. And her grit and her face said, no way. I'm going down. I'm going to be baptized regardless if I got to hobble down on crutches to be baptized on that Sunday. I want the church to know I love Jesus and I've been made new. She demonstrated her incredible commitment to the Lord and to the church on that special baptism Sunday. Scripture also tells us that we're not, that grandmothers are not just simply to be reverent, but I think here he's specifically challenging a contextual issue that was going on in the first century, but I think it applies to all of us, is that they're not to be slanderers. The Greek word is diablos, and it means devilish speech. You've heard it said before, it was a post, uh, it was a, 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 a an American uh, English idiom uh, during uh, the early wars in America that would use as propaganda, loose lips, sink, what? You got it. There's the idea that is uh, slander can be anything that is actually false information, potentially misguided information, and you're talking about it too much. Perhaps the Apostle Paul is addressing some of the issues where a lot of the um, moms or stay-at-home moms are around the house and they don't have as much to talk about, so they're talking about something and talking about relationships, talking about this. Next thing you know, it gets out of hand and speech ungoverned by the Holy Spirit and God's Word can destroy people. You've heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words really do hurt. Um, the, the Apostle Paul challenges uh, there to be a difference in, our, in the speech of a grandmother and not to um, slander. Thirdly, he challenges there not to be uh, not slaves to much wine. That word enslaved is a graphic picture of imagery of being in bondage to alcohol. What I want to do is I kind of want to paint for you three views of alcohol um, from, uh, that are popular in many churches and culture today. Three views of alcohol would be, and this really could apply to everybody, but there's the abstentionist view. The view that um, while many Christians believe that alcohol is, drinking alcohol is not a sin, they usually quote the idea that Jesus' first miracle uh, was turning water into wine. Um, the abstentionist says, you know, I have the Christian liberty to drink alcohol, but I choose to abstain because I don't want my, the weaker brother to stumble. I, I want to be a good example, so I just choose to abstain. All while they have liberty, they say, um, I choose to refrain from that. There's the moderationist. The moderationist says, I don't reject alcohol. I accept it in moderation. The moderationist will say drunkenness is wrong. And the moderationist will say it's, uh, drunkenness leads to all sorts of kinds of sins. But drinking alcohol in moderation is not at all any kind of sin whatsoever. Then there's the prohibitionist. And the prohibitionist says alcohol is evil. Alcohol should be outlawed. Alcohol is terrible. Look at the Bible. Look at all the examples where alcohol is associated. And there you will find chaos, destruction, brawling, adultery, fornication, and so on. So, let me be clear to you as to a good stance to take and a, a biblical understanding of this. 
first of all, is all, all drunkenness is a sin. If you get drunk, the Bible says that's a sin. And this applies towards men, women. Um, it applies to youth, whatever. Drunkenness is a sin. There's, secondly, there's many horrendous sins that are associated with drunkenness. If you get drunk, the Bible shares all sorts of wonderful graphic details where there's, you see this chaos that ensues when there's drunkenness. There's brawling, adultery, foolish behavior, fornication, incest. It's a mess. Not only is drunkenness a sin, it also leads to many more sins when, when somebody's drunk. Thirdly, there's a challenge for every Christian leader to set an example. So drunkenness would not be a good example. Hebrews 13, 7 says that. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. And then fourthly, Christians ought to give up some of their liberties at times. The way that Leslie and I hold to at our, our church, and we, uh, we think this is a very biblical mindset, is that in our church, we teach based on the Bible and uphold two views, abstentionist and moderationist. The Bible affirms that. Uh, Jesus, again, he did perform a miracle. Alcohol is not uh, said to be as evil drunkenness is. But some of you, maybe that are drinking way too much, you need to do something totally different in your life. Maybe you need to abstain 100%. Alcohol is a very damaging effect, and if you are in getting drunk, then you should abstain entirely. I want to read to you, we attract a lot of folks that come from an alcoholic background, and then we see through God's grace, they get set free. Let me read to you a story about a friend of mine named Todd. Todd's a part of our church here, um, served for um, several years on the grounds, helping out. And for this week, Todd shared with me his written testimony for me to read to you. He says, hi, my name is Todd, and I'm a recovering alcoholic, an addict. By the grace of God, I just celebrated this week three years of sobriety. My recovery would not have been possible without Jesus, my wife, Jerry, and our church family. I've struggled with drugs and alcohol for many years, and today I thank the Lord for removing that obsession of using. My father and grandfather were alcoholics and were not Christ followers. Growing up, there was a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, an untruth in the household, and I used drugs and alcohol to cope. Today, I'm thankful I am sober-minded, and I'm living proof that with God, all things are possible. Isn't that good? We celebrate that. I want to encourage you to think biblically, to live biblically uh, underneath the authority of Scripture. You might say, well, I don't like what you have to say, Ryan. Really, you don't like what the Word of God had to say. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I don't want to challenge you just to live under the authority of Scripture. It brings freedom. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. There's freedom in that. So, um, grandmas, let's talk about the importance in closing out. I took a little rabbit trail there because I thought it was very important as I've sat and counseled and listened to many of you. Alcohol is kind of a big deal. I want to challenge you to live according to Scripture, either the abstentionist or the moderationist. Truth for grandma. Number four, we see that Titus challenges, uh, he's challenging the older women to teach what is good, teaching children and grandchildren. Grandma, 
I wanna challenge you to invest a significant amount of your time to invest into your children. Maybe there's been some time delay now and you haven't had that opportunity. Make that time now. Your voice matters. You help shape the present and the future. As well, for you young ladies that have children, make an allowance for there to be a connection with grandma. And it's funny, in today's world, uh, we give new names, right? So at my, at my family, we have uh, Mimi and Poppy. We have Pop and we have Mia. Like, I'm gonna go vintage when I get to be grandpa. I'm just gonna say, call me grandpa. You don't have to call me Pop or... What? I, you don't wanna accidentally say PP. You can't say that. So Pop, Mia, Mia, uh, Pop, and Mia. It's like all these different names. My encouragement to you is to get time with grandma. Those of you that are grandmothers, make that time to teach children and grandchildren. And then fifthly, the Apostle Paul challenges that grandmothers ought to be training younger women. And that word train, you think, well, what kind of training program do I need to put them through? It actually just means to advise or to encourage. So you serve as a voice of counsel. You serve as offering advice and help. And you might say to me, well, what if my, my, my daughter or my son has pushed me away? Well, then you pray for them. And you pray for them and you keep the door open. The Bible says, uh, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You can't have peace with everybody, but you can, as far as it depends on you, try to make an avenue for there to be peace. I think of a, a, a grandmother in our church. She's a young grandmother in our church, Debbie. She uh, has two grandchildren, um, and these two young ladies are actually not her grandchildren, but they are two young ladies in the church that she just pours her love and support into to help encourage them to help and serve in ministry. And by doing so, she's strengthening a vision and an opportunity to help encourage and advise young ladies in doing so on a Sunday morning. Debbie has a great love for kids. She has a great love for people. You can see the kids. Look at that. They're having a blast. And uh, this is week after week. And this is our people living this out. I'm so proud to see, see how you guys are investing into uh, younger ladies. Here's my encouragement to you. North Valley, our vision is, our vision for our grandparents is to empower a generation of grandparents. We stand at a point in time in American history in the church where there's more grandparents uh, than ever before. Uh, we're living longer. And my question is, what are we living for? And what are we using our time for? Our commitment is this, is to help you. If you know anybody in this church that has a need, maybe a loved one has passed on and they're, they're doing life alone, we don't want anybody to do life alone. You're too valuable, you're too important, you're too precious, you're, you're too loved to do life alone. Our commitment is to help you. We want to help you just as we would want to help anybody else. While I have said many times, this is a very young church. We have more than a third of our church is children and youth. You need to hear me on this. Your value as a grandparent and grandparents, you have a tremendous value. I believe that you will be used by God in, in the future to build this church up in incredible ways. I will challenge you though. 
We've seen it before and sometimes past, not just with an older generation, but younger generation is too. Here's what we need. We need humble servants, not hot shots. We need humble servants who say, hey, I'm here to help. At our staff meetings and throughout our staff uh, uh, interactions, I always go up to our staff and I say, hey, I'm here to help. If we hire anybody on our staff, I tell them, you should say that about once a day. Hi, I'm here to help. There's a sense of humility and servantness that's needed in the church family. We need humble servants to invest generously into the church. Here's why. Because together, if our younger generation will listen, will pause, will incorporate, together we can build the church and leave an incredible legacy. The North Valley is before us. God's using this church at the right time. And by God's grace, we've been able to acquire this campus. And I really want to say, if it weren't for so many of those older men and older women believing, serving, caring, and investing, we wouldn't be here today. I'm so proud of that. But together, I think we're called by God to help move the church forward, built around Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, to leave a lasting legacy. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to think about what you can say no to so that you can say yes to something even better. Some of you have retired, and I want to challenge you to think your retirement is not a ticket to be unproductive. Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop. You need to be busy doing good. You need to be proactive and contributing. Your voice matters. Grandparenting generation, there's probably more resources, more knowledge, more expertise, more leadership, more experiences in that generation than any other generation. And you know what? The church is starving for that. So I want to thank you for being a part of North Valley. I'm going to pray for God's blessing as we continue on in our worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church family. Thank you for the diversity from generation to generation. Thank you for the joy it is to serve. Lord, we honor our grandfathers, our grandmothers, and we thank you for them. Help us as a younger generation to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Help us as a younger generation to carve out time, to spend time to connect our children with grandparents. Help us, Lord, to work together. We're always better together. We pray and thank you for your work in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.